season by bringing the focus to where the whole season is meant to bring us. On our Advent candle, the, the very last candle that, that is lit is the candle of Christ, the candle of Messiah, the candle of Anointed One, the candle of King. And so this morning, let's share together, a, a king is born. The story of the king being born, in many ways, as you read the accounts uh, in Matthew and Luke in particular, it starts with, there was a star. And have you ever wondered about that star? And have you ever wondered, well, you know, there's probably people that have kind of thought about, I wonder if that was really, is that a historical reality or is that just a story that was made up? So I did a little reading. And you can go to the BBC. There is a professor. His name is David Hughes. He's an astronomer. And uh, he uh, studied uh, just history and stars. And he came to some conclusions, which I think are kind of cool and I want to share with you. If you read the Bible carefully... The Magi saw something when they were in their own country, and that was probably Babylon. So they traveled to Jerusalem, and they had a word with King Herod. The three kings were religious scholars known as the Magi. They were revered Babylonian astronomers and astrologists. They studied the stars and planets, interpreting the meaning behind cosmic events. Hughes, as he researched just phenomena in the stars, his, his best explanation for this series of events is something known as a triple conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn with the two planets coming close together in the sky three times over a short period. This happens when you get an alignment between the Sun, the Earth, Jupiter, and Saturn. And a triple conjunction, as he describes it, of this kind, it ticks all the boxes that match the biblical story. And so as he went back and studied the stars, this occurred, this triple conjunction occurred in 3 BC. And the events indicate that Jesus Christ was probably born in the autumn of that year around October 7 BC. Now, that, that seven, it's only three years off of what, going at it another way, the death of Herod uh, the Great, which is around 4 BC. So we're in this time frame, something really happened that a scientist could go back and find. And the triple conjunction is kind of cool. It's an event where the, where the planets line up and there's this really bright light that can happen in Babylon be seen, and then like six months later it happens again and then another third time. So all of that kind of matches the story these magi saw as they studied the star. Oh, there's a sign in the stars. And they went on this journey, and then there it was again. And then it was there again over Babylon. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a cool thing. I don't think it has to happen to prove anything. Just kind of like fascinating. But there's another thing that was going on in uh, the world in which Jesus was born. It's called the Star of Caesar. Connected with Julius Caesar, great leaders have long been associated with celestial bodies. Shortly after the murder of one of the world's most famous kings, Julius Caesar, in 44 B.C., a strange astronomical event saw the great man promoted to an even higher place. There is a Roman coin 
from around 43 B.C., depicting Julius Caesar. Some Roman coins depict a comet witnessed at the time of Caesar's death. The Roman writer Suetonius tells us that at the beginning of the celebratory games held in Julius Caesar's memory by his great-nephew and his heir, Octavian, later Emperor Augustus, there was a census in the days of Caesar Augustus. This is this, is this Augustus. That a bright comet rose and shone for seven days. The apparition was believed to be the soul of Julius Caesar. It was understood by the people to mean that he had become a god. A man became a god. And the phenomena was known as the star of Caesar. Emperor Augustus, the Emperor Augustus that called the census that resulted in, in Joseph and Mary being in Bethlehem, for the Emperor Augustus, omens in the sky did not so much mirror earthly, the earthly realm, as it gave his earthly realm its authority. The images of Roman coins were key records for the empire. And Augustus created several that featured the goat fish, Capricorn, uh, possibly because it was the zodiac sign connected with his birth conception, or because the moon was in Capricorn when he was born. Augustus also constructed a monumental sundial on the campus Mart- uh, Martius in Rome in 9 BC, uh, which consisted of the names of the 12 signs of the zodiac inlaid in brass on the massive pavement. The inscription at the base of the obelisk announced that Augustus had added Egypt to the empire and it was dedicated to the deified Caesar and the sun god soul. Augustus's message was clear. This is how he understood the signs in the sky. The Roman Empire had the blessing of the cosmos. With some sort of phenomena in the stars and with Roman belief and emperor worship, that created this, set, this historical setting for the star of Bethlehem. And it was viewed as the biblical prophecy coming true of the Messiah to be born. So as we read Matthew 2, 1 through 12, remember, it, this is not written in a vacuum. This is written in a real world where people are looking at the stars, where people are trying to figure out, what is that? What does that mean? As people are coming to conclusions, well, it's all about me. Is that what it's about? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem Village, Judah Territory, there was during, that was during Herod's kingship, a band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews. We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We're on pilgrimage to worship him. When word of their inquiry got to King Herod, he was terrified. And not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. Herod lost no time. He gathered all the high priests 
the religious, this religious scholars, the Sanhedrin, he called together. And he asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And they told him, Bethlehem, Judah territory. The prophet, prophet Micah wrote it plainly. It's you, Bethlehem, and Judah's land, no longer bringing up the rear. From you will come the leader who will shepherd, rule my people, my Israel. Herod then arranged the secret meeting with the Magi, the scholars from the east, pretending to be a devout, as devout as they were. He got them to tell him exactly when the birth announcement star appeared. Then he told them the prophecy about Bethlehem, and he said, Go find this child. Leave no stone unturned, and as soon as you find him, send word, I'll join you at once in your worship. Instructed by the king, they set off. And then the star appeared again. The same star they'd seen in the eastern skies. It led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. They could, they could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They'd arrived at the right time. They entered the house. They saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother, overcome. They laid themselves prostrate on the ground. They worshipped him by kissing the ground where Jesus was laid. And then they opened up their luggage and they presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, precious gifts given only to royalty. In a dream, they were warned not to report back to Herod, so they worked out another route, left the territory without being seen, and returned to their home, own country. These magi <laughs> show up at a time when the stars are saying a king is born. They were experts in astrology. They interpreted dreams. They were part of the, like, you know, if you just remember the stories of Pharaoh calling in the magicians. If you remember uh, the Babylonian kings with Daniel, they had magicians. The, the, these the same sort of guys. But there's something different about these. As they read the stars, they're looking for the king of the Jews. And as they look for him, they, they want to find him so that they can welcome him to the earth respectfully. I mean, they literally, they, they want to worship him by prostrating themselves, laying flat on the ground, recognizing his, his, his royalty. And if, if he was a king, he'd kiss, they'd kiss his feet. They wouldn't kiss the feet of a baby, probably, or the hem of the garment, but they would kiss the very ground. They were reverent, and they wanted to present him with, with the gifts of gold and frankincense. And that, those are just gifts that are given to kings. They're precious gifts. If you take these Persians, if you take these Gentiles and contrast them with the Jewish king, it's a very sad story. Herod the Great was the king of Judah from 37 to 4 BC. He was actually the indigenous Jewish ruler 
that the Roman Senate recognized. So he really was very much vested by the Roman Empire to be the king that he was. And when he heard the news about a Messiah, a king being born in the territory close to him, only six miles away in Bethlehem, the word terrified means mentally and spiritually agitated. And there's confusion and it begins to just work its way out in acts of rage. The Magi are not angry when they find the baby, when the star leads them right to where they're supposed to be. They're filled with intense joy. And they're filled with adoration. They they want to worship the anointed one, the king of Israel that they've come to find. And they recognize his royalty. Overwhelmed. Herod, on the other hand, is filled with agitation, with confusion, and rage. Tradition tells us that Herod slaughtered 14,000 babies in Bethlehem and around Bethlehem after the Magi didn't come back to him to tell him where the baby was. My friends, he's a Jewish king. He's opposing the king of heaven. I I don't know how to put that together other than to say the people on the earth at the time of the birth of Messiah that had the longest history of relationship with God were the people that rejected Jesus the most. It just illustrates the rebellion of all of us. It's not about how rebellious Israel is. It's that if that nation of any nation could do what they did with a king slaughtering his own in hopes of eliminating the competition of God, it just illustrates how much we resist the rule of God. The Herodian dynasty. Herod the Great is going to he's going to die with worms, you know, kind of eating him from the inside out. This is the this is his his son. That kind of just tells you the state of the Herodian dynasty, the, the kings of Israel at the time of the birth of Messiah. Things went from bad to worse for Herod. The people from Tyre and Sidon put him on the war path. But they got Blastus, King Herod's right-hand man, to put in a good word for them and got a delegation together to iron things out. Because they were dependent on Judea for food supplies, they, they couldn't afford to let this go on too long. On the day set for their meeting, Herod, King Herod, Jewish king, robed, and pompastry took his place on the throne and regaled them with a lot of hot air and the people played their part to the hilt and they shattered flatteries. The voice of God 
the voice of God. Just as the Roman Empire is looking at a comet and deciding that Julius Caesar has now ascended from humanity to deity, so a Jewish king is being called God on the earth. That was the last straw. God had had enough of Herod's arrogance and sent an angel to strike him down. Herod had given God no credit for anything. Down he went, rotten to the core, a megatree old man. If ever there was one, he died. I believe that what the Bible is trying to tell us is that we as human beings resist the rule of God. We want to be our own God. We want to be our own king. We want to be our own queen. We want to be in charge of our own destiny. And our God has interrupted that. By sending us a king, a king that's been born, Jesus has been announced as the true Messiah, the God-given, the God-anointed King of Israel, the one who would bring redemption to Israel, to the world. The official Jewish leaders, starting with the high priest, continuing with the hardline Pharisees, now including the reigning king of the Jews himself, have all tried to squash this ridiculous nonsense and prevent it from spreading. Those with vested interest in the empire of the Romans resisted the coming of Jesus. The more vested we are in the empires of this world, the more we will resist the coming of the kingdom of God onto the earth. They failed to resist. You see, these stories are not just stories of the past. It really brings the point up to you know, our generation. I mean, we, it's, just, it's really two things. You know, as we, as we recognize that King's been born, as we celebrate Jesus, as we sing songs to Him, as we worship Him, I mean, are we really, are we really worshiping? I mean, are we really, are we going to lay ourselves out prostate and kiss the feet of Jesus and recognize He is the final authority over each and every one of us and all of us. We don't get to have our own way. Or are we going to rage and resist and say, I refuse to let anybody else be in charge of my life. To help us make the choice, would you notice kind of what's going on in these stories? Because I think it's still true today. Man, any of us, humanity, we exalt ourselves. We would make ourselves God. Just think of Julius Caesar. Think of Augustus. But we make ourselves God so that others will serve us. And just like Herod, the arrogance 
to let people call him God. It's acts of hubris, just blatant hubris. And when our position is threatened, we will slaughter our own. God, however, God empties himself. He becomes a man. And he comes to serve. His act is not an act of hubris. His act is an act of humility. Humility that you and I would never, ever, ever understand. And he dies in the place of the subjects of his kingdom. As you think about that contrast, let me read you Psalm 2. Why the big noise, nations? Why the mean plots, peoples? Earth leaders push for opposition. Demagogues and delegates meet for summit talks. The God deniers, the Messiah defiers. Let's get free of God. Cast loose from the Messiah Heaven throne God breaks out laughing. At first he's amused at their presumption. Then he gets good and angry. Furiously he shuts them in. Don't you know there's a king in Zion? A coronation banquet is spread for him on the holy summit. Let me tell you what God said next. He said, you're my son. Today is your birthday. What do you want? Name it. Nations as a present, continents as a prize. You can command them all to dance for you, or you can throw them out with tomorrow's trash. So rebel kings, use your head. Upstart judges, learn your lesson. Worship God. In adoring embrace, celebrate in trembling awe, kiss Messiah. Your very lives are in danger, you know. His anger is about to explode. But if you make a run for God, you won't regret it. In this season, we're being invited to renew our run for God our run toward Messiah, our run towards the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. To worship Him in in adoring embrace, to celebrate in trembling awe. My friends... Those of us that are called Christians, people who belong to the king, we have but one king and one kingdom to serve. We've been placed in a city with a government, a county with a government, a state with a government, a nation with a government, in a world of nations 
And everything that Jesus got from the nations when Jesus was on the earth is exactly what you and I will get from the governance of the earth. We can be good citizens. We can be responsible. But the government will rest on the shoulders of Jesus and Jesus only. And we will never be satisfied with how we are ruled, what the law is, what's going on around us because of government until Jesus returns and establishes his government here. Until then, we get to be a people who says, please, let us begin now to recognize who you are. Let us begin to live now, inviting you to rule and to reign among us. Establish your kingdom right here. And let us be a people that do what you want, not what we want. That's what this season brings us to. It illustrates for me how rebellious humanity has been and remains. And it will be rebellious to the end until Jesus returns. But in the midst of that rebellion against a good, good God are people like me, you and me that come to an end of themselves and say, you know, I'm, trying, I'm, just, I'm tired of trying to, to rule my own world. I'm tired of fighting the battles around me that I just seem, they just seem to be lost. And so what I come to is, Jesus, I surrender to you. And I invite you to rule and to reign over me, over my family, over our community, our city, our state, our nation, the world. And would you allow us to do in our day what you want us to do? And we get to live that each and every day. So I wonder if you'd stand with me. I just want to ask you about your commitment. And it's, I just, you know, it's, it's the end of the season, so it's just real simple. It's just a yes or a no. Will we worship or will we rage? I mean, those are the options. Will we say, yes, Jesus? We want you to be in charge of all of our life. I mean, we're not, we, we don't, we, you know, we're not going to hold back from you. Every decision we make as human beings, we want to invite you to, to direct us. Because we know you're going to direct us towards what's best. We believe in you. That's one way we can go. But we can also go the other way where we dress up our, ra- our rage and religion. That's, I mean, how, what else do you say about the Sanhedrin? What else do you say about the priests and the scribes that refused to worship Messiah? We can use our religion. We can, we can, we can mask our rage. And we can play the game. And we can look real devout and real reverent. 
but we can be in as great or greater rebellion against Jesus than people that don't dress up like we do on Sunday mornings. Will we rage or will we worship? Would you just take a moment, just allow the Holy Spirit to identify where you are right now? God, you recognize that our heart is deceptive above all else, and only you, only you understand our heart. And and this morning, right now, it's only you that can look into our heart, and only you that can reveal to each and every one of us whether the heart within us, the core of who we are, the center of everything we are, whether that center is a worshiper, striving to be obedient to your every wish or at the core of who we are is a rebel raging against your rule and your reign in our lives. Holy Spirit, I believe it's really important for each of us and then all of us as a community to know exactly right now where our heart is So I invite you, Holy Spirit, please come. Bring insight. Are we worshipers, Lord? Or are we rebels? with a religious disposition. I want to ask you to do one thing in response to what I believe the Bible is teaching us. I'd like you, if you could... Identify the, the, the area. There's, there may be one area in each of our lives that we just haven't let go of. We hold on to it. I mean, most of the areas we... Jesus, yeah, you can be in charge of that, but Jesus, I don't want you to, I don't want you to touch this. This is mine. This is my domain. And I don't want to let go of it. So would you, would you this week just consider what that area might be? And would you this week maybe willing to let that go and say, Jesus, I'd like you to rule there too. Probably is a hidden place, maybe a place that you don't let anybody else know about. Let him in. Then as a community, I want you to know that what we as a community believe is, is most important is our relationship with our king. It's not about where we meet. It's not about the programs we do. It's about we as people in relationship with a God who's made himself known to us. And how do we live in that relationship with him? And how do we then live in relationship with people around us? That's what is most important to us. And this is where it starts. In the celebration of this Christmas season. 
Oh, come. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Let us bring Him gifts that welcome His royalty. Let us, I mean literally, find your place to lay flat on the ground and kiss His feet. For He is the King of all kings and He is the Lord of all lords. And He wants to rule over us and bring us to the best. So God bless you. Uh, Next Sunday I'll say Happy New Year, but it's still Christmas today. Thank you for our time together.